Oh yay, oh yay, oh yay. I'm Derek Alexander Pope, Managing Director of the Arc of Justice Institute, and welcome to Hidden Legal Figures. Each week, this podcast brings you the lost stories of the heroic and vital contribution that lawyers and judges made to the civil rights movement. This week, as Black History Month draws to a close, we pay tribute to some pioneering black lawyers who were trailblazers in the legal profession and whose contribution to the nation was unmistakable. But first, here's a little something that happened in the nation's past that might shed a little light on why it was important that someone thought to create black history. On January 29, 1923, just a few days after the 67th Congress of the United States had begun its fourth session, Senator John S. Williams of Mississippi introduced Senate Bill 4119. Presented as a gift to the people of the United States, the bill required the Department of the Army to find a suitable site to erect a monument in memory of the faithful colored mammies of the South. The bill passed the Senate almost a month later on February 28th, and quite naturally, the black community was outraged. And the mood was captured eloquently by the writings of Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois when he said any dignity Mammy had was stripped away once the children she raised went on to lynch her sons. Because of robust opposition by black activists, the bill languished in the house and never saw the light of day. But it was just the kind of incident that led Dr. Carter G. Woodson just three years later to establish Negro History Week to accomplish what he called showing how black people have contributed to the advancement of human civilization. Long before Dr. Woodson established Negro History Week, black lawyers had already begun making advancements in and improvements to human civilization. Let the record reflect the milestones, the accomplishments, and the contributions of just a few African-American hidden legal figures. In 1844, Macon Bowling Allen became the first black person licensed to practice law in these United States. He was first admitted to Maine and then a year later in 1845 in Massachusetts. He became the first black judicial officer when on April 21st, 1847, he was appointed Justice of the Peace. That same year, Robert Morris Sr. became the first black person to file a lawsuit on behalf of a client in court. History has lost the details of the litigation, but Mr. Morris said there was something in the courtroom that made me feel like a giant. The courtroom was filled with colored people, and I could see expressed on the face of every one of them a wish that I might win the first case that had ever been tried before a jury by a colored attorney in this country. The jury, after being out a short time, returned. And when the foreman, in reply to the clerk, answered that the jury found for the plaintiff, my heart pounded up and my people in the courtroom acted as if they would shout for joy. Mr. Morris went on to handle a case that would have significant impact on American constitutional history. The case was called Roberts versus the City of Boston, and it was the first case challenging segregation in public schools. 
1848, a local school board in Boston, Massachusetts passed a rule that said colored children had to go to colored schools. This case introduced the concept of separate but equal, and almost 50 years later, the Supreme Court in Plessy v. Ferguson would rely on Roberts v. the City of Boston. 107 years after Robert Morris Sr. first brought this action in Boston, the United States Supreme Court in Brown v. Board of Education declared separate but equal unconstitutional. In 1850, John Mercer Langston is believed to be the first black person to apply to a law school and be denied on account of his race. Because of his light-skinned complexion, Mr. Langston could have been admitted to the school if he agreed to pass for a Spaniard or a Frenchman. He declined, and in 1869 went on to become the founding dean of the prestigious Howard University School of Law. John Sweat Rock, in 1865, became the first black lawyer to be admitted to practice and argue cases before the United States Supreme Court. He was admitted February 1st, 1865, the exact same day that Abraham Lincoln would sign the joint resolution by Congress that would become the 13th Amendment. One year later, Edward Garrison Walker, a lawyer from Massachusetts, became the first black man to be elected to a legislature in the country. Among his notable accomplishments, Mr. Walker led the effort to obtain the right to vote for women. George Lewis Ruffin holds the distinction of being the first black person to be legally educated at and graduate from a major American law school. What is most astonishing about this 1869 graduate of Harvard Law School is that he completed his course of study, not in the three years that law school typically takes. Mr. Ruffin did it in one. 1870 would mark the occasion when the first black lawyer would serve on the highest court of a state. On February 1st, 1870, Jonathan Jasper Wright was elected to serve as a justice of the South Carolina State Supreme Court. 1872 marks the entry of black women into the legal profession when Charlotte E. Ray became the first black woman to graduate from a major American law school. Ironically, when she applied to Howard University School of Law, she used her initials C.E. Ray to disguise her gender. She excelled at her studies, especially in corporate law, which perhaps explains why after being licensed to practice in D.C., she opened an office specializing in corporate law, making her the first black woman to hold that distinction. Because of race and gender discrimination, Ms. Ray found practicing difficult. She would later relocate to Brooklyn, New York to earn a living as a teacher. Speaking of teaching, Lucy A. Little, the country's fourth black female lawyer, became the first woman to teach at an American law school. In 1897, Little returned to her alma mater, Central Tennessee Law School, where she became a professor teaching matrimonial law. Alfredo Benito Cozy became the first black lawyer to publish a major law treatise. In 1914, he wrote American and English Law of Title of Record, which at that time would have been just the kind of treatise used by law schools to teach property law. 
1925, Claire Burrell Bruce became the first black editor-in-chief of a major law school's law review. She became editor-in-chief of the Boston University School of Law's Law Review. Law Review is used by scholars to publish articles to advance legal thought. Sometimes these articles are even relied upon by the United States Supreme Court. She wrote scholarly articles outlining the proper use of circumstantial evidence in criminal cases, bills and notes in commercial financing, and the remedies for workers' compensation. She even was a bit of a history buff herself and had an article entitled, Who's Who in Colored America? These are just a few examples of the history that black lawyers were making before Dr. Carter G. Woodson suggested that we start studying black history. While there may never be a bill in Congress designed to erect a national monument to their faithfulness to the American legal system, today we take pride in thanking them and others like them who were hidden legal figures that changed America. On the next Hidden Legal Figures. Next week, our episode, Lady Justice, highlights the incredible legal career of Constance Baker Motley. So I knew that it was possible for a black woman to become a lawyer. That and more will be part of our next episode. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week for Hidden Legal Figures, the podcast. In partnership with the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, the Arc of Justice Institute is developing a traveling exhibit to recognize the heroic and vital contributions lawyers and judges made to the civil rights movement. Under the Color of Law will premiere in 2021. To learn more, visit www.onthearc.net.